So this is Joe Moore, and this is also our first guest. So Joe, do you want to introduce yourself? I'm Joe Moore. I work for Pivotal Labs, and I've worked for them for eight and a half years or so. Uh, amongst other things, we're a consulting company. We have a few hundred developers now that do mostly software consulting and Ruby on Rails and iOS and Android and other platforms. And we also make Pivotal Tracker. Which just got a recent facelift. Yeah. It's one of those funny things. Like I had forgotten it got a recent facelift because I've seen that facelift for months and months and months. <laughs> you dog food the latest product? We did. And we you know, gave them a lot of feedback and, and uh, complained loudly about things that weren't working correctly and made a lot of a lot of requests for stuff. And it's pretty cool. I like a lot of the new stuff. Nice. So we're talking about pairing today. Uh, you said you've been pairing since 2000? Yeah, I've been pairing since uh, 2000. Technically, maybe a little bit before that. I didn't know it was called pairing at the time. It was just this weird consultant guy made me and another newbie programmer work at the same desk, working on the same thing at the same time. And, and it was pretty cool, but uh, we didn't know it had a name. Uh, and then uh, starting in 2000, I actually worked for a, a startup with those same consultants. And that's when I got introduced to extreme programming, which, of course, is all about the pair programming and t TDD and all that kind of stuff. You get a definition about pairing? So my definition is two programmers working on, well, it doesn't even have to be programmers, but two people working on the same thing at the same time. For pair programming, I guess it would be two programmers working on the same software problem at, at the same time. I mean, you could say on the same computer, but it doesn't have to be on the same physical computer necessarily. You could do it remotely as well using remote pair programming. And Pivotal, like they actually use the same computer only, correct? Yeah, for the most part. we Most of our uh, offices, if you were to walk into them, what you would see is a big open workspace, no cubes or anything like that, just flat tables with iMacs on all of them and two developers either sitting or standing and sometimes alternating throughout the day but uh sitting or standing at a single computer and uh, with uh, two mice two keyboards uh, often two monitors that are mirrored so both developers can see the development you know workspace equally and having full access to all aspects of development you know at the same time say as opposed to one person owning the keyboard for example and the mouse and the other person you know not having access for some reason to to those things and when we do remote pair programming it's it's very often a similar situation where our developers are, say, connecting to one of our other offices that has the same setup I described earlier. And we use try to use software you know, screen sharing programs that allow both sides to completely fully control the development environment versus, say, a presentation software that either locks somebody out uh, or doesn't allow sharing or forces sort of an what I would describe as an awkward handoff back and forth of transferring control to the other person. So, right. um, so for remote pair programming, it's, it's very often almost the same as our in-office pair programming. And so, for example, I'm working remotely from uh, Philadelphia and... I literally have a machine on my desk right now that used to be in one of our offices. They just shipped me a computer from the project that I was working on. And I was able to just turn it on and remote directly into our office. And it was almost like I was there. Nice. How do you uh, handle the handoffs? Do you have a verbal cue or do you just start typing? I think uh, that, that can be one of the trickier sort of etiquettes and and languages, I guess, of, of pair programming is, you know, how do you do that without it being jarring, without it seeming one person seeming like a greedy, selfish person taking over or the other person seeming sort of complacent and never, you know, wanting to take the keyboard or something like that. And, and I find that in the best situations, the ebb and flow is very natural. And when you're sitting directly next to somebody or if you can see them clearly, 
I find that it's very often very natural because we we all have these elebs and flows where we you know we're really in the zone and we really feel like oh, I really understand the problem I'm working on right now or this you know block of code or whatever it is the, the problem that we're working on and and we're really getting we're really doing well and then we kind of we hit a little wall of some kind where our thinking isn't you know we ha- we actually don't fully understand it like we don't understand anything fully and then there's a pause usually in there where you like kind of take your hands off the keyboard and you lean back and you like you know scratch your your cheek and you're like oh how does that work oh man i don't remember and that's for me has always been sort of a good cue that now's a good time to transition because often that other person who's in a i don't want to say passive but in a more passive mode than actually actively trying to remember how to type keys on a keyboard and and drive a mouse very accurately um that other person is 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 very often thinking about a lot of the other aspects of the problem that they're, they're you're working on. You just have a little bit more brain power to do that because you're not so act not as engaged in say typing and stuff. So that other person can often jump in at that moment. And it's a very natural handoff. So that's those are the best situations. Um, do you ever use like a timed or uh, any other like indicators to kind of force a handoff, like a Pomodoro seems long, but like a, I know like ping pong is ideal sometimes. Yeah, I've 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 heard people say that they. Uh, so I, I have met some people uh, who have uh, what are they chess timers? That oh. I actually admit I don't know how they work. <laughs> I just know that there's two little clocks there and the little button, and it looks really intriguing. But I do know some people who, who have done that, and and often I find that uh, teams that that impose a a time restriction, you know, like you know, every few minutes or every five minutes or something like that. Often it's because one or both of those people acknowledge that they they have a problem, <laughs> they have a a keyboard hog problem, uh, and you know, acknowledging you have a problem is the first step to healing, <laughs> and so they'll do do something like that. Um, uh, so I find it's not very common, but in reality, it would probably be more valuable than a lot of people would like to admit. So I think that probably a lot of people are maybe a bit more keyboard hog like than they might want to admit. Uh, but you mentioned uh, ping pong pairing, which which I find can be very valuable, especially when you're teaching somebody about pair programming, or you're you want to demonstrate in a very sort of in a very clear fashion how it might work. And so the definition of ping pong pairing is is you use it in conjunction with test driven development, and the flow tends to go one developer writes a failing test, and then the other developer implements that uh, the actual implementation so that the test passes, and then they write a failing test, and the first developer implements the code that makes that pass and you go back and forth back and forth back and forth and ideally you know if you're doing TDD right you're writing small tests you know this isn't a, a gigantic you know 10 it doesn't take you 10 minutes to write a test and you know an hour to write the implementation like that. you do these little these little you know red greens red greens red greens alternating who's writing the test and who's implementing the code and that can be a, a nice formal way of doing that I, I find that in practice once you that 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 kind of formality can it can kind of go away after a little while as you get more familiar with the little cues of of when as you become basically better pairs you become as with anything the more you do it the better you get um and teams that pair a lot are going to get more in sync with each other ideally and a lot of those sort of formalities can can kind of drop away if the team decides that they don't need so, like such a rigid structure. But but I know that you guys uh, pair as well, so I'm always interested in hearing other people's experiences with the ebb and flow of pairing and handoffs and and successes and failures and and that kind of thing. I was going to say I don't think all of us pair full time at least right not right now. Um, uh, Pam, do you need, do any pairing at your your job? 
Yeah, I mean, we're known to do it on occasion, um, but we used to do, I used to do more of it when Trevor was still in Philly. Oh, okay. So Trevor's a guy I used to work with who loves pair programming and TDD. I did pair with the same guy for about a year and a half. And after about six months, like verbal communication was not needed. We would just start typing and we would know when the other one was typing. Even though it was remote, we had no visual cues. It was just us getting completely on the same wavelength. Yeah, that's um, I've experienced that as well. And I find that people who are very experienced with pairing jump in kind of at will. Uh, And and I also find that in those situations, you know, often you could it's almost like a married couple. And I was about to mention that that um, at, uh, at Pivotal anyway, when we when we have, say, a one pair project and it goes for three months, six months, even longer. We, I don't think we've had a one-pair project that has gone for a year and a half. Uh, we call it being pair-married, and we're very, very leery of that <laughs> because you know, finding the perfect uh, you know, pair spouse can be a very difficult thing, uh, and you certainly don't want to get into a situation where two people get to the point where they can't stand each other. <laughs> um, and we've had, definitely had situations where after a certain amount of time, pairing every single day with the same person you'll though they they have to very have to have a very honest discussion with each other or with their bosses and say like this has got to change you know we just cannot do this every single day day in and day out um so we we like projects that have more than one pair because then you for a variety of reasons but amongst those reasons are you get a variety of people to pair with so maybe we should back out for a second and and talk about like what the benefits of pairing are? Like, why would a client or manager or product owner want the developers to, you know, in at its base level, you know, spend twice as much, you know, developer time on the same same issue? Um, sure, I can certainly speak about that. And and although I do want to take a little, uh, uh, re- like a referencing what you said a moment ago, you know, twice as much X, Y, or Z. <laughs> uh, you're right. It is on the surface that's very difficult math to contradict because. We all learned pretty early that one plus one is two, so that's clearly twice as much. Um, but I, uh, a longer discussion, perhaps, than we'll have right now at this exact moment. But I'm happy to have it. Is you know, how do you, how does, how do you define done and complete, and how do you define um, what it, what work is on a project, and whether or not having a pair of people working on that is really twice as much? Because of course, I would say it's not. But anyway, the advantages, I, and I want to hear what you guys have to say as well. But you know, from my perspective, the advantages are very generally two heads are better than one. In almost every situation. Definitely. So when you're designing, when you're designing the code that you're working on, the modeling of it, uh, when you're fixing bugs, when you're you know trying not to introduce bugs, so there's fewer bugs, better design. Um, I actually find very often that it's ultimately faster because you don't go down these rabbit holes that you don't get nearly as you don't get stuck on things nearly as often because the combined experience of the pair very often cancels out the those moments when you're stuck and you, you spend 30 you know 30 minutes or 10 minutes trying to figure something out the other person might have just done on another project so you get over those hurdles very quickly um and then of course there's the training aspect the cross training so not just say a junior and a senior developer you know in a sort of apprentice and journeyman role or something like that but also people of equal levels teaching you know sharing and combining their experiences and transferring all that knowledge of both experience in the past of past projects past everything and but also cross training on the product that you're working on right now making sure everybody knows everything ideally about the system that you're working on so you you're not too reliant on a single person 
uh, to own a particular piece of the code. And I could go on and on and on and on, but I'd love to hear what you guys have to say as well. Yeah, for me personally, um, one of the biggest wins is I'm, I'm just naturally lazy, <laughs> especially if I'm... Uh, I'm a full-time employee, like at a working on a product at a company, and not and not consulting hourly. Um, Take note, all future employers listening to this. Podcast. Yeah, exactly. Like, if there's a problem that I'm really interested in, I might have like you know a two or three hour burst of getting really excited and into the problem and really engaged. But other times, I might just be bored or you know disinterested. So pairing for me is like a hack where like I when you're pairing with somebody else, there's nothing else you can be doing. You can't be browsing, you know, the internet or Twitter. You can't. Uh, be daydreaming like there's somebody else sitting right next to you working on the same problem as you right it's an accountability thing yeah so so i guess the two biggest things for me to be more productive uh programming uh professionally in in recent years has been switching to consulting where billing you know hourly or whatever i feel you know obligated to do work for those hours i'm billing obviously um but also pairing i I tend to get not not just twice as much done but like an order of magnitude more done (laughs) especially problems that i'm not as interested in there's also just the effect of articulating the problem. Yesterday, I I was actually sitting behind Justin, and as he said, I'm working solo right now. And I was stuck for an hour and actually stood up, and I was walking over to to ask Justin, like, a Ruby question. And, like, halfway walking over, I realized the answer and sat back down. Right. (laughs) I didn't didn't have to ask him anything. I would would love to be able to figure out how to engage that part of my brain you know, on on demand. Maybe you just figured out a hack for it. But but that's happened to me so many times as well. Like um um and it usually happens when I'm working by myself or, you know, in the past when I was on, say, a project where I couldn't pair for some reason. And just asking for help and, and like there there's something about the moment of you're you're totally stuck. You ask for help and the moment that that person walks up and stands behind your shoulder, your brain just shifts into a totally different mode. And I think it, I think you're you were getting to it where it was something about you're about to start verbalizing it. And and composing it in your brain in a way that you can actually communicate it to something else, to someone else. And it's like it engages different pathways in your brain or something. I don't know. Right. And boom, there it is. But like the, the ghost over your shoulder thing has happened to me so many times. And somebody just walks up and they're like, so what's the problem? And you're like, I got it. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> Never mind. <laughs> But thanks. Rubber ducking probably helps with yeah. that. Is that where you talk to rubber duck? Yeah. Or you just tell someone the problem and not they don't talk back. You just articulate the problem. And then if you're articulating it, you're being forced to break it down to its lowest, I guess, to the simplest form. I guess think about it in a new way. As somebody who works from home, and I'm almost always pairing, like I said, because I am working remotely. But when I'm, when I'm soloing, I'm sitting in my home office completely removed from anybody. And, and I will admit that I do a lot of talking out loud. Do you have pets? I do have pets and I do talk to them. Nice. And they don't talk back, but they help in their own way <laughs> just by letting me, uh, just by listening. They're good listeners. You should just get a parrot and only teach it to ask if we've written a test for this yet. Yeah, exactly. Write <laughs> exactly. the test first. Write the test first. So we always hear about the positives. I never hear about the, any cons of pairing, though. Are there? Any? I mean, I guess I my con of pairing would probably be something other people will say. And also, it's kind of a question because... So I have a story about when I was a little Pam and I was in reading group in third grade and I had to be put in my own reading group with my best friend because I got frustrated that the other readers weren't fast enough. (laughs) So I sometimes have a problem with pair programming because other people are just not as fast as me. And so it always feels like I'm in the in the helping role where I'm trying to help someone else get it. 
rather than us both getting something out of it. So I think like short term, like it can be frustrating, but if you stick with that, assuming this is like a longer engagement um, at work, if you stick with it, that person will eventually be up to the same speed as you, or at least close enough that you're both, you know, going back and forth with each other instead of just training. At least that's what I try to keep in mind when I'm with a junior or if I'm junior on something and I'm trying not to frustrate the other person. I mean, I'm not just t- I'm not talking about juniors. I'm talking about regular people. <laughs> I felt like that doing backbone stuff lately. I mean, I, I agree with you know Justin and Joe that generally I'm an order of magnitude more productive when I pair. But I feel Pam's pain when I'm working with somebody on backbone stuff because there's just like so much so many layers to the stack. And I'm always feeling that I'm like two or three times slower when I have a backbone pair. Shouldn't you think about the end goal, though, when you're running into those frustrations? Like, that person's going to be somewhat as good as you in the future, and you're making a little you. So you should, it's a positive outcome, right? I mean, sure, but if you're doing that all the time, it feels like you're always giving and you're never getting. I can I can definitely see where you guys are coming from, and I'm in both of those situations on a on a regular basis, and that's probably has something to do with the the kind of place that I work and the you know the kind of projects that we have. I'm not I'm not on a product where I'm the super expert, you know, and I've been working on it for years or something like that. Um, or and I also don't have a a particular narrow. I'm not saying that you guys have this, but I I don't have say a narrow area of expertise. Because that's all I would be able to be an expert in. <laughs> My brain is such I probably couldn't be an expert in everything, so I'd have to have a very narrow uh, area of expertise. But I'm not in that situation where I'm the super expert on something and I'm only doing that. And therefore, anytime I'm working with anybody else, I'm only teaching or bringing somebody else up. Um, now, I am, I am in that situation sometimes. Like sometimes I have been on a project for a while and I am, say, the most knowledgeable person on it. And so I am bringing people up all the time. But I, I you know, it's a little bit of a brain hack and it may be unsatisfying to some people who are in a position where they are the super expert all the time. But, you know, the the idea of pulling people up you know, trying trying to trick your brain if 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 that's the way you feel it is, but hacking your brain to say you know I these people aren't slowing me down. I'm bringing them up. You know, they're not an anchor dragging me down, but you know I'm pulling them up out of the water that they're drowning in and trying to make them as good as me. And I I get excited when I'm working with somebody. And yeah, they're you know they're slower than me and they're not quite getting it. But they're if you're seeing those sparks happen, those those little those jumps. Where they're like, okay, that thing they didn't get yesterday, they get it today, and now they're ready for that next thing. Um, I get a, lo- I personally get a thrill out of that. Um, but that's something that that helps me is that and variety. And then you know, there may be something to say if if you work in a place where you're where you're the super expert and there's never anybody else coming up to your level. There's maybe a bigger conversations to have about. <laughs> well. You know, the high, you know, it gets uh, recruiting, hiring, it can go into all kinds of different places. Um, yeah. Now, there are people out there who are just so good. They might always be in that position. And maybe that's, you know, maybe there's a bigger conversation also to happen about like, okay, well, maybe you need to challenge yourself. Maybe if you need to throw yourself into the deep end into something that you're not an expert in, force yourself to be that other, the other side, you know, the person, the slow person, that new technology that you don't know, that new language you don't know, that new business domain that is completely foreign and breaks your brain every time you try to imagine it, say insurance. But anyway. Now I want to I want to pair with Pam and see if I can keep up. <laughs> Challenge accepted. Any other disadvantages? I think some people don't like pairing. Not uh, not like the actual act of pairing, but like feeling obligated to have something looking over their shoulder the entire time. Maybe it's like a too high pressure or uncomfortable. You're also giving up a bit of freedom 
I do miss my freedom when I was solo freelancing and I'd be able to work for two hours and take a nap and then take my computer to the park. When you're, <laughs> when you're doing pairing, you know, you have to do a little bit of a personal sacrifice to, you know, be on the same schedule. Yeah. I think that, I think that pairing is the, of, of all of the software development disciplines is the hardest software development discipline and not just, and I, for me, it's, it's mostly about the constant interaction. I find it absolutely exhausting. Like I've met quite a few people who previous to my working with them, they were solo uh, developers at a startup and they were working 12, 14, 16 hour days. And after eight hours of pairing, they were more exhausted than those 16 hour days working by themselves because it's so intense. Yeah, I guess we're just it's, used to it now, but I do remember like the jarring change of like being so, so, so like, I guess, socially drained. Yeah. I, I will say, you know, I've been doing it for a long time and I'm very often socially drained, mentally drained at the end of the day because I am constantly engaging with other people. So do you, do you balance that by working less? Um, I don't know. I mean, I work, uh, I mean, speaking for myself, I work a, a regular eight hour day. Um, so I don't know if that's less, that's less than the person I was describing earlier, you know, the people coming from a startup where they were working more than eight hours a day. I wouldn't want to, I don't know if, how much more per day I could do. Yeah. Um, I mean, I say that because I think it, it would be better if you'd maxed out at six hours a day. Yeah. I mean, I currently work six hours a day. Um, I don't know if it's really the six hours or more of like the, uh, the time span for each session. So we very rarely go more than like, I'd like to say four hours, but it tends up being like three, three and a half hours. I also find that uh, Pomodoro breaks when pairing are really, really helpful. Yeah, we've we've done that on several projects where we, we had the Pomodoro application running on the computer and it sort of like locks out the entire screen and it has a little <laughs> Pomodoro timer thing. And so at the- first, I found it extremely annoying. <laughs> and and very disruptive because it unlike a little timer on the side that you could like there was something about it like actually taking over the entire screen and locking you out of the keyboard and everything that I just wanted to throw it out the window <laughs> but once I embraced it and accepted it then I actually found it was valuable to yeah, for, have for it those, stop you for those that don't know it's uh, Pomodoro is 25 I think the simplest version is 25 minutes of working and then 5 minutes of a break I think there's something more complex where it's like 3 minutes of a break and 2 minutes of re adjust or re-aligning uh, what you're doing. Um, but we just do 25 minutes on and five minutes off. But I find that five-minute break every half hour to be really helpful and not getting burnt out by the end of the day. So at the office, we have like a, a soft soccer ball that I kick around. Some people play foosball. Some people will just kind of like walk around and think. Yeah, our, our, um, our office is obsessed with ping pong. So there's a lot of there's a lot of ping pong happening um, during during those breaks, and I think it's super valuable. You know, I I walk away and do my own thing, um, you know, on a regular basis. You definitely need lots of breaks. So kind of getting back to to disadvantages, I think the 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 elephant in the room is well, we did describe earlier the concept of one plus one equals two. So how is that not the case? And I find that one of the the biggest uh, dis- a big disadvantage of pairing like not on the where I think everybody who's on this call is in a developer and and I put myself in this category where I often think about pairing advantages and disadvantages as far as my daily my day-to-day um, life you know developer in the trenches slinging code but there's this other aspect of it of challenges say convincing management describing it to management or other teams other uh you know other like if you're a a consultant and you're trying to convince um a team you're working with maybe a client team 
that this is a really great thing and they should do it and trying to convince that other organization to do it can be a big disadvantage too. And I've definitely been like socially shamed for pairing. You know, like we were, I've been in situations where I was at a client location and our team was pairing and people would come by and make fun of us. And sometimes it was, ha ha, you know, hey, you silly guys. So and sometimes this it was client like, was full of mean people? Doing? Sorry, if I, were those clients full of mean people? There was some mean people there. Yeah. I mean, like, what were they doing that they had all this free time to come be mean? I just don't like mean people. Sorry. I, I, I was left Hashtag anti-mean people. So did you resolve the mean people issue or did the contract just end? And then they uh, went so, back to being mean. Yeah. Yes and no. Um, we've been uh, on the longer term contracts where we were in those places where there were mean people. Uh, we've had successes and failures. Like some, you're just not going to convince everybody. Um, I think that's one of the things that I've had to accept is that you just can't convince everybody. Some people are just not going to do it. Um, and that does get into code ownership. And at one particular um, particular place. We were both very, very successful in convincing certain groups in ways that like blow my mind to this day and completely failed with different groups inside that same organization in ways that, you know, were very, very frustrating. And some of it was code ownership. Like at this particular, this particular startup I'm talking about that, that where both of these success and failures happened, code ownership was a very big deal because um, it was a very famous place. We've all heard of it. And in the early days, there was definitely a sense of you, what one joined this company to make a name for, them, for themselves. And if you were the guy or gal who wrote that thing, you could forever go on and say, hey, that service we all use, you know that one thing? I did that. That was all me. And sharing that was not something they were at all interested in. Um, but but ways that, that we've gone about it is one, kill them with kindness. Like I've <laughs> like whenever people have ever like made fun of us, and a lot of it's like very passive aggressive, but like always inviting people just like, hey, well, why don't you hang out with us? Another trick. So this 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 is a funny trick, not calling it pairing, not like using the dogma trick, not using the trigger words. So what do you call it? Uh, needing help. Playing dumb a lot. I'm really good at playing dumb because I like, sometimes am dumb and I do need help. But uh, going and like working on something, getting legitimately stuck or feeling like I'm not being efficient enough and then going to the people who have the expertise and saying, hey, can, can you help me for a few minutes on this thing? I'm stuck. And then sometimes that turns into you pair all day on that. You never actually called it pairing. You were just stuck and needed some help from this person. So like a lot of this like like sounds social hacky manipulative kind of stuff and maybe it kind of is appealing to people's egos so that they will come and help you and then tricking them into pairing with you without calling it pairing um and so that that's one thing that can kind of like kick the door open there's other but i've tried that with certain people and it has been colossal failures like some people just shut down when they're sitting next to somebody else in very bizarre ways but um so i think kill them kill them with kindness like never never like 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 hold off on the dogma just say like oh yeah like why don't you help me with some stuff why don't you pair with me once in a while um oh we'll just keep doing it okay haha your joke was really funny but then also kill them with results so how do you how do you quantify the results quality and productivity are really difficult things to measure i think that they can be very difficult things to measure. I think in the situations that I'm thinking of when I say kill them with the results is you, you just kind of know it's, it's stuff being delivered and it's stuff not having to be reverted or 
undone or turned off in production. Um, and in multiple cases where we've been at clients that were kind of hostile to pairing, you know, we would say try to engage them in pairing, fail for at first, and then kind of reassemble ourselves in a little bubble where we were protected, you know, like just our consultants pairing on, on our area. And what do you know, that area of the application, because, you know, like they have to wall off an area where those hippie pivots can work and they're pairing whatever, whatever. Hmm. Holy crap. Like they just keep delivering stuff that works more and more and more and more. And that other area of the app, wasn't that supposed to be done two months ago? Like, what's up with that? And everybody kind of feels it. Like, and this doesn't always happen, but it's happened enough times in my career that I can't deny it, that you just, one, you just kind of, everybody feels it. Like, man, those people who are pairing are just cranking the stuff out. And management loves that because management loves features going out the door and making announcements to the world that it's happening. Um, and that other feature that was supposed to be the new hotness, wasn't that supposed to be done a long time ago? What's up with that? And there's always a danger of like management saying like, now you guys all have to pair and nobody wants that kind of coming down <laughs> from the top down. But sometimes, and it's happened a few times in ways that I've been thrilled about, those people who are watching the, res the results going out the door, they will warm up and they'll come over and say like, hey, maybe we should do this. Hey, can we swap some team members around so that uh, you guys, one of you guys can pair with us? Then that starts spreading it through the organization. That's awesome. That has worked on certain teams uh, in an organization. And it's also failed inside of that same organization with other teams. But I count those successes as, as huge successes. I think one thing I've heard that you can count as results is people usually say, oh, that was some really awesome code that we just wrote or yeah. someone learns a new pattern or you know, they see a different way of implementing something that is cleaner. So when Pivotal goes to offsite clients, do you guys take your setup there too? Yeah, we IMAX? try to have a, we're very demanding. <laughs> we're very picky um, and we say no a lot. So that means that when we engage with a client, you know, we have a list of like must haves. And, and if they say no, then we usually don't take those projects. So it's like, well, you got to be on a Mac and, you know, you have to have like this whitelist software, you know, that we must use or, you know, these software frameworks that are within our acceptable frameworks that we are willing to work with. So we are in a position where we say no a lot and maybe not everybody is comfortable doing that. But that means that we, we want to set ourselves up for success and we want to set our clients up for success. And I don't want this to sound like all salesy, but. You know, we we say no to a lot of projects because we want all of our projects to be a success. Um, so we will take on projects that we're not sure about. We will do it if we feel like, wow, this is going to be a real challenge. This could be really awesome. But we're not going to say yes to projects that are just completely out of our comfort zone just because we have to. You know, so say you know something really challenging that we don't know if it's ever been done, but at least we know some things like it's going to be in Ruby or Java or something like that that we're already ex feel like we're experts in. Cool, we'll do that. But if we're not going to say yes to say a PHP project where we don't have anybody who writes any PHP because we just don't feel like we will be as successful as that. So we want to set ourselves up for success. And that also means that our clients have to say yes to pair programming. If our clients say like, we want everything you guys, you guys do, you sound great, except for that pairing thing, that's a no-go. Then we'll say like, well, sorry, you folks have to pair with us. So I saw you have an interesting video set up too. Uh, for, for remote pairing. For remote pairing, yeah. I have um, my main work computer, which is like a 27-inch iMac. And then depending on if I'm using Skype or FaceTime or Google Hangouts or something, I either use a an iPad that is kind of propped up on this like articulating arm thing so that I can, uh, that's kind of propped up at, at face level. And I use that when I'm using something like FaceTime. If I'm using Google Hangouts, I tend to use a laptop, a little MacBook Air, but a little tiny laptop that's propped up actually quite high as well so that it's also more or less at head level. Um, and 
I like keeping the audio video stuff on a totally separate thing that I can manage separately, adjust separately, see separately. Like I don't have windows that are on my computer that are hiding the video or, you know, interfering with the audio or anything like that. That's the, the main thing. And then I, because I'm doing this full time, I actually use an external microphone and an external set of speakers, high quality speakers, so that I don't have to wear a headset. Like right now I'm wearing a headset, but and the audio quality is probably quite high um, and I can hear you guys very well. But I don't want to have to wear a headset 40 hours a week for years and years. Um, so I use an external mic and uh, and speaker setup so that I get a high quality audio video experience. And so does the so do the people on the other side of the remote connection, uh, even if I'm not wearing a headset. What kind of speakers do you have? Uh, I'm. These are actually, you can't get these anymore. They're Altec Lansing. They're actually one of the first like iPod speaker dock things that you would plug, say, an old iPhone or an old iPod into. And of course, there's no iPod or, or anything plugged into it now. But the speakers are were actually pretty good. And so, and it had a, a way you could actually hook it up to a computer. So I'm using those things. But I actually have another, like if, if somebody were going to go this route and use external speakers for doing a lot of audio, a lot of conference call style audio, like we're doing right now, I would say shy away from anything that has super heavy bass because I actually have another set of speakers that are were very expensive. I was like, these are going to be awesome. And I started using those and there was so much low end and bass that it was just, I had to crank them up quite loud to get the, a good speaking conversation style um, audio that I wanted and they just didn't work. So watch out for that. Cool. So I think we need to start wrapping up. Uh, Joe, do you have any uh, picks? Uh, yes, my pick is the screen sharing application that is built into every Macintosh computer that almost nobody knows actually exists. And uh, it's a uh, it's in uh, when you do a spotlight search on your Mac, it does not show up by default. And it's called screen sharing app. And it lives in the following location, which I will recite system library core services screen sharing dot app and when you enable screen sharing in your preferences uh in your uh, system preferences on a mac you can receive these remote screen sharing connections using this application and then you can use it to connect to other people and it's the best screen sharing experience i've ever had after all these years of doing remote pair programming and it's on every mac so everybody should use it yeah and that's the same application you use if you see a computer in finder and say screen share right it is when you are browsing other computers on your network and it says connect as blah or yeah screen share it is that right yeah. it's just in this hidden location that most people most people i find that are even aware of of remote pair programming don't know that it's there awesome uh justin do you have a pick <sighs> no <laughs> all right then uh Jervon. all right so my music pick is no rest for the wicked i'm pretty sure the artist's name is like you like and that will be in this is my jam and I guess my programming pick is the uh, ThoughtBot blog. They always have really good articles on there. Uh, so I check it out if you haven't yet. You can go back in time. Even back in time is really good. <laughs> yep, those are my picks. Awesome. Uh, Pam, do you have a pick? Yeah, if my, my internet would stop cutting out. But uh, I read an interesting post this past week about ExpressJS 4.0 and the upgrading from 3.0 to 4.0. Express is a small framework on top of Node.js. And so I've been checking that out because there's some some interesting changes happening in the middle of Express. Awesome. They will be adding post params. <laughs> All right. So I have a pick now. So on my phone, I always have this muscle memory of like, I'm bored. Let me read something. And it's usually tech related. And I've gone through different phases of like different, uh, different reading apps or different websites I go to. 
And my current favorite, I believe suggested by Trevon previously, is uh, Lobsters. It's L-O-B-S-T-E dot R-S. Uh, and it's just a well-curated collection of computer science or programming-related articles. And that's it. You should go check it out. They have a good mobile interface for your phone. Cool. Um, I don't have any programming picks this week, uh, but I'm just going to cop out and pick Guardians of the Galaxy. Everyone's probably sick of hearing about it, but it's pretty much the perfect summer action film. Definitely worth seeing in the theater. And uh, thanks so much, Joe, for uh, joining us today. Do you... Uh, Absolutely. So where can people find out more about you? Um, let's see. I You can find me on Twitter at, uh, at Joe M, J-O-E-M. And I have a very infrequently, shamefully infrequently updated blog on uh, called RemotePairProgramming.com. And I actually would say anybody who does remote pair programming or, or any kind of remote work who might have suggestions on uh, good content um, for that, then feel free to either forward it to me or I'm even open to maybe even opening up uh, authorship on it. So if people are, are excited about posting about remote pair programming and a remote collaboration and uh, have a lot of good content they feel like they can provide, maybe you could become an author. So let me know at Joe M. Awesome. So show notes are at turing.cool slash 14. And I'll uh, talk to you guys next week. Right. Bye. Thanks for having me, guys. This was awesome. Oh, thanks for joining us. Thank thanks you. For joining us. Bye. See you guys.